Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Well, if you are watching this on video, you can see the windows behind me in my office here are completely black. And the reason for that is it's 2.05 a.m. Monday morning, early in the morning. So the reason I'm up so late is because I just finished an interview with the one and the only Jim Rogers. He is one of the world's greatest and most renowned investors Jim is the guy who co-founded the Quantum Fund with his partner, George Soros, and he established a very strong reputation as an authority on investing and the markets. He recommends saving money, cultivating good habits, working hard, studying, and thinking about the future. And it's because of this that he's had such tremendous success, and I actually suggest you go and look him up. Um, you can go to his website. It's uh, jimrogers.com, but if you look him up on Wikipedia, among other websites, you can learn a lot about his uh, supposed net wealth. Um, I think his net worth is much higher than what's stated on a lot of the public websites, but uh, he's extremely successful. He lives in Singapore. Uh, and this was just a great interview and a must listen for a more macro and global perspective on investing in the markets. And for those of you listening to this and are sitting heavy in the stock market, you might pick up a few insights from uh, my interview and my conversation with Jim. You know, one of his quotes is, I don't think I own any U.S. stocks. And if I do, it's very few, so few I can't even remember. So Maybe that's a hint, but I think it's worth listening to what he has to say. And he's got many great books out there. So you're going to enjoy this interview with Mr. Jim Rogers, the one and the only. And we'll be right back after this message. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. It's my pleasure to welcome Mr. Jim Rogers to the show. Jim is an American businessman and financial commentator based in Singapore. You've probably seen or heard him on the media. He's a frequent guest on radio and TV, including Worth, Fox News, and CNBC. He was the co-founder of the Quantum Fund, a global investment partnership where over a 10-year period, the portfolio gained an amazing 4,200%, while the S&P 500 rose just a measly 50%. He has established himself a great reputation as an authority on economics, investing, and the markets. And Jim is also the author of a number of great books, including A Bull in China, A Gift to My Children, and more recently, Street Smarts, to name a few. Jim, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be here, Marco. We don't need all that introduction. Let's just go. Well, it's an honor to have you on the show. Jim, you know, you have a very colorful and successful life, and many people admire you. I've been following you for years. Um, you know, some people might chuckle, but you literally started by selling peanuts at the age of six. <laughs> I did indeed. I actually started at the age of five picking up empty bottles at the games. Oh, wow. And then uh, I started my own business when I was six. 
So yes, yes, it's been a long story. So you you've had a long journey, and I'm I'm sure we could fill hours about you know your your life's journey as a businessman and investor. Can you just kind of give us a forty thousand foot view so our listeners have some perspective of of, of your life's journey as a businessman? Well, after college and after the army, I went to Wall Street. I had a successful career. I, I made uh, more money than I knew existed in the world. Remember, Marco, I grew up in a small, poor town in a small, poor state in Alabama. So it didn't take much money to dazzle me. I retired when I was 37 because I always wanted to have more than one life. I wanted adventure. I went around the world on my motorcycle, which I'd wanted to do for a long time. And then I went around the world in a car because it wasn't enough on the motorcycle. And now I live in uh, Asia. I have two daughters. I never wanted to have children. I thought children were a horrible waste of time. I used to feel so sorry for all those saps who had children. I was wrong. I was totally wrong about children. So now I live in Singapore so that my children will know Asia and speak Mandarin. And here we are. That's amazing. Another amazing thing is you set not one, but as far as I know, two Guinness World Records, and you've traveled around the world on a motorcycle. You've covered six continents, and then the second time you went around the world, you hit 116 countries. I'm curious, just what inspired you to do such a thing? Well, it was actually, that was, that was my third Guinness record, going around the world in a car. When I was at university, I'd set a, forget, we, my rowing team had set a Guinness record at the Henry Royal Regatta, but that was a long, 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 all a long, long time ago, Marco. No, ever since I remember, I wanted to see the world. You know, I grew up in the backwoods of Alabama. I once remember saying to my 16-year-old girlfriend, gosh, I'm 16, I've never been anywhere. And she said, oh, I'm 16, I've been to Birmingham, I've been to Montgomery, I've been to Mobile. As far as she was concerned, she'd seen enough. But for whatever reason, I had a wanderlust my wife says I'm a gypsy. Uh, I've wanted to see the world since as long as I can remember. Wow. So kind of just to kind of start to sink our teeth in here onto some of the things that I know I'm curious about and our listeners are, you know, more and more people today are expressing concern about the U.S. stock market and the economy in general. And I think you might agree with me that we're overdue for a correction or even a recession. At least that's how I feel about it. Do you think we are on borrowed time right now, or do we still have a ways to go? Well, Marco, uh, we have the longest uh, uninterrupted economic expansion, stock market expansion we've had in American history. So we're certainly not at the beginning of good times. Uh, we're certainly overdue. But I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll go 20 years. It doesn't have to end after 11 years uh, or even after eight years, which it usually did in the past. I suspect we're on borrowed time. The central banks around the world, led by the American Central Bank, have driven interest rates to the lowest level in recorded history. Never have they been this low. People have been borrowing staggering amounts of money in the last 10 or 11 years. Everybody's talked about austerity, but nobody's practiced austerity. So you give me a trillion dollars and I'll show you a good time, Marco. Well, that's what's been going on. You know, the American government deficit this year is a trillion dollars. That's with a T. That's not with a B, that's with a T. So, of course, people are having a wonderful time. And the central banks around the world are printing huge amounts of money. The Japanese central bank has said, we will print, their word, unlimited amounts of money. And every day they go to work, print money, and buy stocks, buy bonds. I mean, this is all insanity. It's going to end someday. And when it does, we're all going to be very, very sorry. Well, I agree with you. I mean, for the past 10 plus years, the Fed has just 
been printing staggering its amount amounts of money and it's i mean they've just kept pushing rates down lower and lower and long term that's just not going to work i mean the bottom line is is that there's going to be a terrible price to pay none of us have a crystal ball but i'm going to throw questions out at you that you know allow you to look into the future but what's the price that we're going to ultimately end up paying with this loose monetary policy well, one point, Marco, the previous head of the central bank in America, her name was Janet Yellen, said, no, don't worry, we have it under control. We'll never have hard times again. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. But if you now, by the way, she has a Ph.D. in economics from Yale University. Woo! Wow. So maybe you should listen to her. I, on the other hand, know she's wrong. No, we are going to have hard times again in the world. They're already starting in some parts of the world. It always starts when you're not looking in a small place and it works its way until finally it's on the evening news. Or, you know, maybe even Marco Santorelli's talking about it eventually when it gets that big. And that's what's going to happen. Uh, the price? Well, you know, in 2008, we had a problem because of too much debt. Marco, since then, the debt has skyrocketed everywhere. So it's going to be the worst economic times of my lifetime. And I can tell I'm older than you, so it's going to be the worst of your lifetime, too. You should be worried. You should listen to Marco Santorelli and listen to other people who are urging you to learn what's happening. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, in 2008, the problem was simply just too much debt. And since then, debt has just skyrocketed, not just in the U.S., but all around the world. And, you know, what, what do you think the next bear market is going to look like? I'm sure it's going to be catastrophic, but how, how bad is bad? Well, it's going to be worse in 2008, and uh, 2008 was pretty bad for many, many, many people. Uh, you look around the world, the American stock market right now is at an all-time high. So if it just goes down, you know, 50%, which is normal in a bear market, uh, at least it's going to be horrendous. But it's, you know, other markets are going to get hit very badly. In Germany now, you even have cities which have problems. Germany, Germany. I didn't say Italy. I didn't say Spain. I said Germany. You know, you're having problems all around the world now. So it's going to be horrendous. Be worried. And they're, and Germany's the engine of Europe. I mean, if, if they're in trouble, then Europe's really in trouble. Well, in my lifetime, the Germans, for historic and uh, well, mainly historic reasons, uh, have usually been a paragon of virtue as far as debt and place, things like that overspending, even the Germans now. Even, you know, in 2008, we had a problem. The Chinese had a lot of money saved for a rainy day. It started raining. Chinese started spending their savings and helped save the world. Now, now even the Chinese have a lot of debt. So I don't know who's going to save us next time, Marco. So a lot of our, most of our audience are U.S. based and, you know, they're, they're thinking, oh, I have a lot of money in the stock market. How bad could it possibly be? Um, a correction is probably going to be a big correction. Do you see a lot of parallels with the 1920s, 1999, 2008, what we're going to see going forward? Or is this just going to be on a completely different level? Well, I, I'm afraid it's going to be on a completely different level. You know, in the, in the 30s, we had a, in the 20s, we had a gigantic stock market bubble, um, which got out of control. And then government started trade wars, huge trade wars. In America, 2,000 economists took out a, an ad in the newspaper saying, don't pass trade wars. 
Congress passed it anyway. And, you know, you know the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. The worst depression, war, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm afraid it looks more like that than anything in my lifetime. But if it's anything in my lifetime, it will certainly be 2000, 2008 was caused by debt. Well, debt everywhere has gone through the roof. There are other problems. We now have trade wars, which we haven't had since the Second World War. You know, the Second World War, after the Second World War, everybody said, we're never going to do that again. We're never going to have trade wars to ruin the world. Well, read the newspapers. You'll see we're starting to do some of those things again. And I haven't even gotten to shooting wars yet. We might even have shooting wars again. And, and actually, so, that's my fear is, is a lot of people, including Gerald Salente, will say that, you know, trade wars leads to hot wars, which is essentially just, you know, uh, an all out war. And uh, I, I don't know if that's the direction we're headed, but it, it actually concerns me. Well, it often has throughout history that when people start getting into trade wars, you have economic hard times. And when you have economic hard times, politicians always love to blame the foreigners and you blame the foreigners for all your problems. Easy to blame the foreigners. They have different languages, different religions, different food, different skin. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say, and their food smells bad. They <laughs> smell bad and their food smells bad. You know, it's easy to blame the foreigners. Uh, and politicians love to do it. Politicians aren't going to say it's my fault. So no, it often has led to, to shooting wars. I'm just this. I'm not. This is not a prediction. I'm just telling you what's often happened in history, and it's pretty simple to go and read history. So I, I guess it goes without saying, and I'm 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 sure I know the answer to this, but I assume you're bearish on the U.S. dollar. No, no, I own a huge. I own a lot of U.S. dollars. The reason I'm uh, I own the U.S. dollar, having just told you, America is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, and we're going up by a trillion dollars, at least a trillion dollars a year. Uh, I own the U.S. dollar because when turmoil comes, people look for safe havens. Now, the U.S. dollar is not a safe haven. It's the largest debtor nation in history, but people think it's a safe haven. And as they look around, where are they going to go? There's no place else to go for the most part. So I own a lot of U.S. dollars on the expectation that during the turmoil, the dollar will get overpriced because people are not going to rush into the British pound or the Euro, even the euro. They cannot buy the Chinese money, maybe the Japanese uh, yen, but it's getting terribly priced, at least the economy is. So I own the dollars on the expectation it'll get overpriced, depending on how bad it is, uh, Marco, it might turn into a bubble. I hope I'm smart enough when that happens to sell my dollars and put the money somewhere else. See how easy it is to get rich? We just did it in 30 seconds. (laughs) Well, speaking speaking of wealth, I, I, I believe that I know you're a, a fan or probably a big fan of gold and silver, as am I. And I, I really don't consider precious metals to be an investment simply for the fact that they don't generate cash flow. I'm all about cash flow. I love cash flow. That's why I'm in real estate. But I do yep. see them as a hedge against inflation and a preservation of the purchasing power of, of your wealth. Are you still bullish on gold and silver right now? And if not, why well, not? I don't- I own gold and silver, but I haven't, which I have for years. I've never sold any of my gold and silver. Uh, I haven't bought any serious gold for since 2011. I'm waiting. Uh, I haven't sold any. Don't worry. Uh, I'm waiting. 
if the world evolves the way it might, gold often goes down and silver often goes down in, in you know, big, big drops, big crises. Uh, it's usually a great buy when that happens. And my plan is that if and when gold and silver go down again, I will buy a lot. But next time around, you know, whenever people lose confidence in money and lose confidence in governments, they have always gone to gold and silver. Whether they should or not is irrelevant. That's what they do. And they will again. I hate to ask you this question, but uh, is there a target price you're looking for with either gold or silver? Well, Marco, I'm a horrible market timer. I'm the single worst uh, trader in the world. Uh, yeah, under a thousand. If it goes under a thousand, I would probably buy a lot. But depending on what happens, I mean, if America goes to war with Iran, I'll be buying it at seventeen hundred and begging for more. It just depends on on how the world evolves. Well, I guess the flip side of that is, is this question. Is what asset classes are you actually bullish on right now? Well, uh, agriculture, I'm bullish on. You know, sugar, for instance, is down 80% from its all-time high. That's not a typo. I mean, sugar has been a total disaster for a long time. Wow. The average age of farmers in America is 58. The average age of farmers in Japan is 66. I mean, the highest rate of suicide in the UK is in agriculture. Marco, it's a nightmare. It's a disaster. Uh, well, usually, and it's been, it's been that way for a long time, usually if you get involved in a disaster, especially one like that people have to have, you usually come out okay in the end. Uh, I'm buying some Russian shares as we speak, uh, beating down Russian shares. Uh, Russia's hated. I like to buy, I mean, America's stock market's at all-time highs. I don't like to buy things at all-time highs, but Russia's hated. So when I find something that's beaten down and hated, I look for opportunities. So you mentioned farmers here. I, I'll take you back to 2012 for a moment here. You, you had an interview with Forbes magazine back then, and I might paraphrase this a little incorrectly, but you said there's going to be a huge shift in the American society, American culture, and in the places where one is going to get rich. The stockbrokers are going to be driving taxis and the farmers are going to be driving Lamborghinis. The smart ones will learn to drive tractors so they can work for the smart farmers. What exactly did you mean by that? But just what I said, you know, agriculture has been a nightmare. Uh, and throughout history, we've had long periods when the producers of real goods have been on top, followed by long periods when the producers, financial types, have been on top, followed by long periods again when the producers of real goods have been on top. It doesn't have to happen, but it's, all, it's happened throughout history, so it probably will happen again. Uh, Finance has been a wonderful place for 30 or 40 years now. Agriculture has been a terrible place for 30 or 40 years. That usually doesn't, it never has lasted forever. So I would be looking. Now, if you don't like living in the city and you like the sun, you might think about starting a new life. You know, learn to drive a tractor. Uh, if you're happy to live staying in finance, stay. I, I stayed in finance when it was a horrible place to be and had some success. So you can succeed in horrible environments, but it's easier when you have the wind at your back. Yeah, no, I agree. So let's assume for a moment that um, a correction or maybe a, a U.S. stock market crash is inevitable. It's not a question of if it's going to happen, but when it's going to happen. And that often has a trickle-down effect into all the parts uh, of the economy. If, if and when that happens, what do you feel the overall effect would be on uh, real estate in the U.S.? 
Well, Marco, interest rates have never been this low in recorded history. Right. Interest rates are the lifeblood of it, of a credit. real estate. No, uh, credit and, and interest rates. Interest rates are going to go higher. And if they just go back to normal, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to ask me. You know what's going to happen if interest rates go back to normal. There are a lot of people who with property and real estate who are extended, maybe not overextended, but extended. And the ones that are overextended are really going to suffer. And Marco, even if you are not overextended at, in property, your neighbors are. And when your neighbors have to dump, that affects your property, even though you're perfectly solvent. You have no debt. You know, you're sitting there with a smart outlook on life, but your neighbors have made mistakes and now they, they have to dump. And so that affects your property as well as everybody else. Yeah. So, so we're, no, you're talking about property values, not so much necessarily the cash flows from those properties or the yields, but certainly the market value. Well, yes, the market value, but unfortunately that affects uh, cash flow because when people going bankrupt or being forced to close their offices or their shops, cash flow diminishes too because, you know, people cannot keep his shop going, cannot keep his office going. He has to reduce the number of people he has. Uh, that's the way the world has always worked. And I don't think it's changing, uh, even though Mrs. Yellen says it is okay now. Right, right. So Jim, just a few more questions here. I, I do want to mention one book I think is an incredible book that you've written, and it happens to be a non-financial book in many ways. And it's a book you, you wrote called A Gift to My Children, A Father's Lessons for Life and Investing. I think that was brilliant. Uh, you have two girls, um, and congratulations on that. I have a 12-year-old daughter, and, and I'm trying to take her around the world to see the world. We've been to sh uh, Shanghai twice. Uh, we've been all over Europe. I mean, we, we travel. And one of the chapters in your book is talking about see the world, don't just read about it. Uh, um, why did you write this book? What, what, was your, what was your goal? Well, I kept thinking of things. I wanted to make sure I taught my children, you know. I had my first child when I was 60, Marco. And so I said, well, I better make sure she gets all of this. So I started writing down uh, things I wanted to make sure she learned. And Actually, it started the Japanese magazine started publishing these things I wrote down for my daughter and they decided to make it a book. And so I said, well, let's do the whole thing. Turned it into a book for my daughters to make sure it was written down. And, and for what it's worth, I have recently uh, revised it. It's a much better book now. It's been written. It's been published in Japanese, Korean, Chinese. Wow. Uh, it gets into English as well before long. But it's a much better book because I've learned more. You know, since I've been a father and since I've gotten older, I've learned more things about life. I, for instance, I, I explained to them, don't get a tattoo. Tattoos are hot right now, very hot. But I know a doctor in Singapore who spends his whole practice removing tattoos. Wow. He says people come from the tattoo parlor. He <laughs> said, oh, doctor, help. What have I done? So I've, I've just, there's some lessons that I have learned as I've gotten older uh, that I've added in the new book. Hopefully it'll come out in English well, too I, someday. Uh, no, that's the great. The English version is great. The English version is great. It's just that I've, I've learned more. Yeah, I, I have the first edition. I didn't know you had a second edition to it, so I'm going to have to update my, my copy of it. Well, you have to be able to read Japanese, Chinese, or Korean oh, at the moment. Got it, got it's, it, got it's it. It's only in those three languages so far. 
Jim, so let's let's wrap up with three quick questions here because I'm always curious to ask uh, people who have your level of success who their greatest mentor was. Who did you learn from? Who inspired you? Well, I'm I'm afraid I don't have a, an answer to that question. It's something I've thought about and I wondered. I, I just I don't. My parents taught me, you know, you have to work hard. That money is hard to get, and you have to save your money. I've tried to teach my daughters. One of the first, I got them all six, six piggy banks when they were born, and I wanted them to learn that money is to be saved, not to be spent. I guess I probably got that from my parents. Uh, it's better to save for the future. And I, as I say, I, I got them six. I'm not trying to teach them to be currency speculators. I just want them to know that all money, there is different money, and all of it should be saved before it's spent. But I don't, I'm afraid I don't really have an answer. Can I push back on what you just said a little bit? So I had the same advice. You're, you're doing an interview. That's what you're supposed to do. All right. So I, I had a similar advice for my grandparents. And, and I think before 1971, that was good advice because we were on a gold standard or at least, you know, partial gold standard. But uh, when we went off the, uh, the uh, gold standard and now all currencies became free-floating, we, be we entered in this phase of inflation. And so saving, for the sake of saving, is just mean means that you are um, losing purchasing power on your, uh, on, on your, on your cash. So f I believe saving should be for the sake of redeploying that as quickly as possible into investments that generate a greater rate of return than the real rate of inflation. So I, I'm not a believer in saving other than emergency capital. Am I, do you feel the same way or am I off on that? Well, there's nothing wrong with what you just said, especially in inflationary times. Uh, the past few years, we've had inflation. I mean, governments lie about it. They love to lie about it because it's to their benefit to lie about inflation. But no, of course, but my children know about gold and silver. Uh, they have gold and silver coins. I mean, they're 11 and 16, but they know about gold and silver. They know their family, their mother and father and them have gold and silver. And they know that, you know, sometimes you have to invest. I'm not trying to teach them investment now, Marco. I'm waiting for them to come to me and say, oh, tell us what this is all about. I have learned people who don't want to learn something, who are forced to, usually don't learn very well. Well, people who are eager to learn something are very keen and they learn it much better. So if and when they come to me and say, oh, what is this thing about stocks and investing and what are you talking about? Then I plan to teach them. So would you say saving was the best advice you ever received or was there, was there some other advice that you would say is the best advice you ever received about investing? Well, uh, uh, well, I guess to take that another step, the, the best advice is figure out, figure out the money and you'll figure out what's really going on in the world. Don't listen to the TV and the newspapers and the politicians, especially don't listen to the politicians. Follow the money flow and whether it's investing or current affairs or, or life, you will learn a lot more about what's really happening if you can figure out who's going to get the money and how they're going to get it you're more likely to be successful or at least survive. So for the tens of thousands of people who are going to be listening to this here in a, in a few weeks, what what is the one attribute that you believe every investor should have? Uh, be careful. To be precise, 
Do not invest in anything unless you yourself know a lot about it. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to the TV. Don't listen to the news. But maybe Marco you can listen to, but don't listen to anybody unless you yourself know a lot about it. If you want to be successful as investing in anything, you stay only with what you know. If I told you you could only have 20 investments in your life, Marco, you wouldn't be jumping around. You wouldn't listen to the latest hot tips or your friends or anything else. You would be very, very careful about what you invested in. And if you invested, if, if I told you to buy X and you bought it, you wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't know what to do if things go right. You wouldn't know what to do if things go wrong because you don't know why you bought it in the first place. So if you want to be a successful investor, all you have to know is don't listen to other people. Stay with what you yourself know. And if you don't know anything to invest in at the moment, just wait. One of the best attributes of a successful investor is to do nothing. Do nothing when there's nothing to do. Don't be jumping around. I know people who lose, make a mistake. They lose money. They say, oh, I got to, I got to do it again. I got, I got to make up my losses. No, you don't. You don't have to make up your losses. That's a dangerous time. Just sit quietly. Sit quiet until you see money sitting over there in the corner and you know it's going to work and all you have to do is go over there and pick up the money. Right. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know, Marco, if you're going to be a successful investor. Sage advice, Jim. I appreciate that. Well, Jim, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. It, I greatly appreciate it and I know everyone's going to appreciate your words of wisdom. Uh, quickly tell our listeners how they can learn more about you. Where can they follow you and find your great books other than Amazon? Well, my books are all on Amazon. Okay. Uh, they can be ordered from bookstores uh, in Japan. Do they exist? <laughs> yeah, I, I have actually, I, it's a bit of a shock to me. I have two number one bestsellers in Japan this year. They're only in Japanese and Korean. Oh, wow. Congratulations. It, it, I don't know how this happened. I don't know what's wrong with the Japanese. Literally two number one bestsellers in one year in a big country. Uh, it's about the problem, the upcoming problems in Japan. One of the books is called A Warning to Japan. But I mean, most of your viewers don't read Japanese or Korean or, or Chinese. No. Uh, I don't have any English books at the moment. New ones, A Gift to My Children, obviously is one of my favorites. Um, but I'm not really trying to sell anything, Marco. I just no, I know. I've heard good things about you, so I thought I'd do. I should do this show. Well, I really appreciate that. So thank you ever so much for coming on the show. You've been, you know, a wealth of wisdom, and uh, I hope to do this again in 2020. Okay. Thank you, Marco. Bye-bye. All right, sir. Bye -bye. Thank you very much. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.